You are listening to a very special edition of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 18, Why I'll Never Make It, a chat with New York City-based actor Patrick Oliver Jones. Let's get started. Maggie Barra here. Welcome to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then what is up? Thank you for joining us. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every Monday for your enjoyment. And show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic or on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. I've been feeling really grateful lately because Actor Aesthetic, my blog and podcast, has introduced so many wonderful new people into my life. Today's episode is really special for you guys because it's the first episode that features another human being that is grinding it out and doing exactly what we've been talking about so far on the Actor Aesthetic podcast. My wonderfully talented and brilliant new friend that I would like to introduce to you all today is Patrick Oliver Jones. Patrick is what I would consider a working actor and a very successful one at that. He has been blessed with a rich career in all of TV, film, theater, and voiceover work. Some notable credits include Blue Bloods and Law and Order, as well as the national tours of Evita and The Adams Family. He's worked at countless regional theaters around the country, including Bucks County Playhouse, Tuts, Finger Lakes Musical Theater, Colorado Springs, The Muni, and Disney. This episode was recorded for his podcast, Why I'll Never Make It, and I figured why not share it on here as well. So here you go. So when it comes to our profession, certainly one of the big things is this idea of making it. You know, I, I'm doing air quotes. You can't really see it. But, but what to you, what is the idea of making it? What does it mean to make it to you? I, I think my idea of making it as an actor has changed. Um, it's not just starring in a Broadway show. I think for me, ultimately, it's being a working actor. So what I mean by that is doing anything you can to continue performing and work on your craft. If that means regional theater or workshop productions like a lab or film TV, regardless of what it is, just continuing to work as an actor. Um, and again, that doesn't even mean getting paid for everything that you do, but just constantly. Which is always nice. Oh, it's always <laughs> nice. <laughs> wrong but you know even if that means creating your own work just continuing mm. to create and explore your craft and of course also i i think mostly 
if Broadway isn't the goal, it's creating a role on Broadway. That's that's the ultimate goal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say that, yes, I mean, being in an established show would be great. But but yeah, getting a chance to be with a show from the beginning, like like one of my good friends, Montego Glover, she was like with, oh, she was with man. Memphis from day one. And she was, so for like three, four, five years, it's just like, taking this long journey of, of this reading and that development. And then finally it opens on Broadway. But you know, what we don't see are those years of development, but to be with a role and be with the show and the creatives as it journeys through its many different processes and different incarnations would be an amazing thing. That's funny that you bring up Montego. I am obsessed with her. And I saw Memphis a couple of years ago when it was on Broadway. And we actually, my family and I saw it twice in one day. Oh, wow. Back um, to back. <laughs> I know. What happened was we saw the matinee performance of it. And then Chad Kimball had gotten sick. And um, my sister was friends with Kevin Massey, who was understudying Chad Kimball. Um, long story short, we were both actors growing up. Mm -hmm. She did the national tour of Little House on the Prairie, the musical. There you go. And there we go. And so Kevin was playing the lead and he texted my dad and he was like, I had no idea you guys were coming to see the show. I'm going on tonight. So we ended up seeing the show again that day. And I was, I fell in love with Montego Glover. I thought she was incredible. Oh, I mean, she, I mean, and she's only gotten better. That's the crazy thing. She is I can't, only gotten better. I can't better. even fathom that that <laughs> voice on that woman. Yeah, <laughs> she is on. absolutely amazing. And yeah, because she and I worked together at Disney World. And so that's where yes. she and I got to know each other years and years ago. But um, yeah, yeah, we happened to bump into each other a couple of months ago when she was in town. And uh, yeah, we just kind of caught up. And we, we didn't realize that it had been like 15 years or so since, that we've known each other. You know, so it's just been a long time that we've, that we've been around Time flies. Other. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, what was the performance like seeing it back to back like that? Did it change? Or? It was crazy. It was so different. I mean, in the best way. It was the, the first show... By the way, I couldn't even tell that Chad was sick. So that was like astonishing because um, Kevin was like, oh yeah, he had the fever. Like he was really, really sick, but he put on an incredible show. And Montego Glover like gave an incredible performance. Like I can't, I don't know how she sustains that every, you know, the, the way, how she could do eight shows a week like that because the vocals and the the work ethic and the stamina to maintain a show like that was really incredible so seeing it the second time around I was like "Ooh, let's see like how does someone like that do a show like that in two like twice a day right how do you repeat a performance like that yeah how do you repeat and it was also really interesting seeing Kevin step into the role because um it just gave the show a different form of life um it wasn't better or worse it was just like a different way of seeing the show so um it quickly became one of our my family's favorite shows because mm. it was just incredible but yeah well and and that kind of gets back to that idea of making it as well because for a lot of people it is being the role it is being the character whereas a lot of us we mm -hmm. have understudy roles and that and that's a way to to, to be wor a working actor, even if you're not in the limelight and you're not front and center all the time. Absolutely. And and I think it's a, it's one of those things that is underappreciated a lot, especially in, especially when you go out on tour and say the understudy goes on or something like that. 
it's weird how producers and theaters are so hesitant to like let it be known that an understudy's on when I'm like, look, look, everyone's going to see the exact same show. Yes, it's going to be a different face, a different voice, but the show is going to be just as wonderful mm -hmm. even with that understudy. And it's, and, and I think it it does a disservice to the hard work that goes into being an understudy when so many theaters and producers don't try to elevate that to be like, hey, look, you get to see somebody else. This yeah. is going to be a wonderful show. And sometimes it's harder to, I mean, I, I've understudied a couple of times and I would love to know your, because I know that you've also understudied a couple of times on the road as well, which right. I would love to know more about um, for future reference, if that ever comes to play <laughs> in my world. Right. Um, but like, sometimes it is harder to be an understudy for a lead role than to be playing the lead role for, you know, however many times a week, because you don't get the opportunity to be doing the show every single day it's not it's not mm -hmm. something that you'll have in your body so you have to trick your mind in different ways of being on the ball at any given moment um, definitely i would love to know a little bit about like your experience understudying yeah i did Vita and the adams family in the adams family i understudied two roles mal which is wednesday's boyfriend's father and lucas's father and then i also understudied lurch lurch was definitely the more fun of the two but but I went on for Mal much more often. And what, what was interesting is that both of those roles, particularly, were actually a wonderful vacation from the ensemble role that I was doing. Because, because the ensemble role, it, it is so, it's so dance heavy. You're, you're on stage in many different scenes doing different things. And, and in fact, during the if you've seen the show, there's this one where, all, where both families come together and they're having this huge dinner and all the ancestors are kind of in the background. So we're standing there holding candelabras for like 15 minutes, stationary. And then all of a sudden we'll like do a little head bop and then we're back, you know, you know, and so you're just like <laughs> waiting just to move and do anything or sing, sing a note. But whenever I would go on for the understudy, because we would rehearse, um, you know, we rehearsed a little bit in the city, but mostly those rehearsals didn't happen until we were on the road. And that's, and then, so then every Tuesday we would, do a different in, incarnation of, of different understudies playing different roles and doing th different things. And so when I, when I finally got to go on for the first time, it was actually as Lurch and it was wow. in our, it was in our second city. And wow, so we, 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 we had had, I, I think we had kind of gone over some music, but hadn't really done any blocking. And the, the guy playing Lurch his father passed away very suddenly. Oh, wow. I know it was so sad. And so he needed to go, obviously. And, and we were like, yes. And so he did one show knowing that his father had already passed. Oh and so I just shadowed him and I walked behind him and I, and I just made sure, okay, you enter here, you take on this prop, you do this, do that. Just, just kind of doing the blocking backstage and then watching him on stage. And then the next night I went on. Wow. So I mean that that that's that's what it that's what how it goes. I I think I did like maybe seventy percent of what I was supposed to do, but basically I had a cheat sheet of every prop <laughs> that I the had to bring on because yes. because Lurch would come on with like five different props and leave <laughs> with three different ones. So it was always that. So I always just kept this running list of everything I need to have in my pockets and, and carrying. Wow. And so Lurch was really being thrown out of the, sh out of the, the cannon, just like, okay, go. But, um, but Mal, I got to, to rehearse a lot more. And for me, it, 
a lot of times the understudy basically needs to fill in the mold of the, of the, the, the actor that plays it. And so it was a lot of, now, now, now granted, I'm still my own person and the director was at least understanding enough to, to, to let me still give it Patrick. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have to be uh, Marty. That was the guy playing Mal. I didn't have to be Marty. So, but at the same time, all the blocking and all the kind of beats had to be the same as far as hitting the comedic timing. So it was, it was fun in, in the fact that I got to infuse a bit of myself and I got to work, you know, I'm doing a scene with Douglas Sills uh, right there, you know? So it's breach. just like, hello. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was so much fun to, to be able to do that. But, but, but yeah, it is a different mindset to, to, you know, to focus on my ensemble track and then add these others and yeah, be ready at a moment's Mm -hmm. notice, much like in St. Louis where, you know, where he had to go be at his dad's funeral Mm -hmm. or just, okay, you know, Marty's called in sick, so we need you to go on tonight. So yeah, you just got to be ready at a moment's notice. Swings. Now that is a whole other mindset. I don't even understand. A whole other story. (laughs) (laughs) That is something my mind cannot do. Like, like, have you ever had to to do different tracks or do different roles like that? So the only other time I ever had to swing, let's see, my sophomore year of college, we were doing Rent. And so I actually was understudying Maureen and then I swung the rest of the ensemble. And that was the weirdest, like most eye-opening experience. Of course, I was focusing on Maureen and her stuff and what was going on, but like throughout some of the rehearsals, people were not there, so I would have to step in, and it was like a constant battle of, but I'm paying attention to Maureen, but I also have to be like in this moment at this time. It was the first time I ever swung, first time I ever understudied, and so it really just like kicked my butt into gear as to what that means and like how to maintain my sanity. I think over time, I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, I think that's just one of the things that you just don't really know how to do until you experience it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard. Swinging and understudying is kind of hard to prepare for unless, you know, you're, you're getting opportunities to do so. I like had color coded, like, Uh, spreadsheets going on and like I had different like I had a gajillion notes in my script about where everyone was blocking wise and everyone was a different color I think we called it like my swing bible like that's what it was now now did you separate have have like one script for 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 this role and then another script for this track and another or or, or did you meld it into one I should have I didn't (laughs) (laughs) I definitely should have had multiple at least like one specifically for Marine and then one for the rest of the ensemble women after that experience I understudied a couple more times and then one of my first professional jobs out of school was understudying Christine and Phantom at the Fireside Theater. Is that more Yeston's Phantom? Yes, more Yeston's Phantom. Mm-hmm. I was in the ensemble for that, but I also understudied Christine and slowly I was starting to pick up things that were working for me in regards to how to take notes, how to figure out the blocking. This was also a theater in the round and this was my Mm. first time working in the round. And so that was really um, jarring, but slowly I was figuring out what worked for me. I got an iPad and I started taking notes on like Microsoft OneNote and I uh, was like putting all of my notes for blocking and everything in there. And that was amazing. That was like a life-changing 
like thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I I discovered the the iPad about five years ago, and 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 ever since then, that's that's what I exclusively use for rehearsals now. It's, it's just so much easier. Well, I mean, instead of having the three ring binder and having to carry that and mm -hmm. turn pages, it's one single screen, and you just kind of tap, and mm -hmm. you can add notes or highlight. Mm -hmm. So it it yeah, it's it's very helpful. Exactly. And at then a I moment's got, notice to access things. Yes, and then I got the uh, the stylus that goes with it, so that I was starting to like draw oh. and like utilize that. That was a game Fancy. I know, but I was like, what a great <laughs> investment because now my mind, like now I can get really into it and draw and what I was doing before, like color coding and doing that stuff, instead of doing it like physically in my script, I was doing it on there. It was amazing. So we've talked a lot about, you know, just the intricacies of, of making it and, and the little nuances that go into performing. But what would you say is the thing that, that holds you back? Like, like why, why will you never make it? What, what's, what is it that, that you think is, you know, all right, well, the, well if, if I have to do something else, I might as well quit now. I love that you asked that question. And I love that your podcast is named that because it's... <laughs> Ooh, what does that mean? Like, is that taboo? Like, what do we think? Right, 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 right. Because so many people have a negative connotation of it. And and I mean, yes, none of us want to like focus on the negative, and that really isn't the point of the title. The point no. of it is is like, look, this is a tough business. And 95% yeah. of your auditions, you will not be booking those. Oh, I know. The reason why I will or would never make it is totally me. It would be that I'm the only thing that's going to get in my way. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with my own insecurity as a performer um, and worrying so much about what people think of me versus just doing what I love for a couple of minutes in the audition room and then leaving and then doing what I love again in the audition room. Um, I, I think really it would be my own insecurity and maybe jealousy of other performers. Mm. This is what I, I try to talk about on my own podcast is like, what do we have control over in this industry? Because I am constantly recording and writing down every audition that I go to, every appointment that I get or callback that I get. And last year I did, like I looked at the end of the year last year in 2018, I went through how many auditions I went to and how many callbacks I got and then also how many shows I booked. And I think the number was up to like 200 auditions, like maybe even more than that, like 200 auditions. And then I got like maybe 20 callbacks and like, one or two shows I booked. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that to me sounds crazy, but like that's the norm. <laughs> it's yeah. just the norm yeah. and it's what you have to expect going into this. But knowing that all you can, can control is your work ethic and your attitude um, can serve you, especially when you think about what's going to get in your way in this industry. It's not necessarily the people behind the table that may or may not give you the job. It could very well be yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, because we as actors, we we like to think that that we're on top of our game and, and we did the best audition ever. And if we don't get cast, well, oh, it must be precast or, you know, all these different things. But you're right. A lot of times we didn't give what we needed to or we and sometimes it's one of two things. It's either we didn't step up, we didn't prepare enough, we didn't present the best that we can do, or what we did present was authentically us, and that's not what they were looking for. Yeah. And, and either of those 
to the second one we can't really control, which I think is the better option. If, if you're going to go in, be yourself, yeah. give everything that's you and bring yourself to the role. And if you don't get cast, well, then that's what it is. But that first one, that's the one that we have to make sure that we're prepared and ready. And the only way that you can continue to grow as a performer is learning from those mistakes or not even mistakes, but just what you would consider a failure. Do you know what I mean? Like learning from those uh, opportunities and mm -hmm. taking a really hard look at those auditions and saying, did I give everything I could have possibly given? If you can honestly answer yes, then wonderful. But if you notice little things that you can continue to improve on, then amazing because that's the only way you're going to grow. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because it got me thinking that we get that when we're in a show. The director will give us notes. The the stage manager will say, hey, you're off your blocking. Or what? So yeah. we get that kind of critique when we're in the show and then we tweak it, we, we perfect it and, and we keep you know adjusting. But in an audition, we rarely, if ever, get any kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. And the only person that can do that is, is ourselves. And so That's it. it's, it's true. We do have to kind of take the notes, kind of assess what happened, what didn't happen, and different ways that we can, that we can improve either the next time we audition for that theater or just, you know, auditions in general. So I, I think that's a, a great way to think about it. Yep. For me, it, it, it's interesting. You, you brought up the jealousy, which I've, I've brought up on my own podcast so many times. And so it's interesting because I was looking at your Instagram feed <laughs> and you have almost like 6,600 followers. <laughs> And, and so there, there, there's a bit of that jealousy. I'm like, how does she have so many followers? <laughs> like, look doing? at all these people that, that love her and interact and connect with her. Like what? And as more and more, I hate it, but it's yeah. the way of the world. Mm -hmm. More and more casting directors are starting to look at that. Yeah. Certainly in Hollywood, it's a big thing and it's creeping now over into theater world. Mm -hmm. And so as, as actors, it's like, well, well, sure. Yes. Of, of course, Adina Menzel has these followers, but you know, <laughs> although social media wasn't around when Wicked, but yeah. as you know, in 2005, it's not like, you know, before she did Wicked, it's not like there were, she had millions of people following her every move. Mm -hmm. It's like people do wonderful things and then people like them. Yeah. So it's, it's a little hard for when you're just, uh, you know, a daily grind working actor in New York City to be like, hey, look, I've got 40,000 people following me, caring what I do. Yeah, That's one of those things that I look at. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just not reaching people. I'm not, you know, I don't have this, this network. I don't have these connections that make me a valuable asset to a show, you know? And so that, that's something mm -hmm. that I certainly look at, but it's more instantaneous because I hope that me going into the room, again, getting back to, you know, being prepared and giving our best, that in the room, that's where I can show them, okay, this is where I need to be in, in your production. You know, so what, what is it for you that, that keeps you going, that keeps you going to that 200th audition oh. when you still haven't booked anything? <laughs> Real. Okay. I wrote this yeah. down because I really wanted to include this today. And it's so okay. I love Ed Sheeran. Okay. 
if you know him, yeah. huge pop singer, but he had a really interesting way to success. He's like a super chill, just normal guy who all of a sudden became this huge pop star. One of his quotes, let me see. Okay. He says this, he says, when the world's against me is when I really come alive. Mm. I love that. It means so much to me because I just have like, I've always had this innate drive within me to perform and create. And I know that the statistics of being a successful actor are low because I record all of this. So I know, okay, I'm going into this audition and that audition and that audition. It's starting to add up. Am I getting any callbacks? Whatever. But there's something in me that says, I know the odds are against me, but I'm still here and I'm still going. And I know that one day, you know, one day I'm going to have one person that believes in me. One day I'm going to, um, someone's finally going to think of me and bring me in for a life-changing show. Mm. I, I know that eventually, as I, I think that there's a place for everyone in the theater industry one way or another, especially if they love it and they have that drive to continue in, in it. But I just think that regardless, it's going to take time. Um, and so right now what I'm doing and what I have been doing since I got out of school was putting my efforts not necessarily into auditioning for a specific show or a specific role, but putting my efforts into getting out there in front of different people and mm -hmm. continuing to, to show people who I am and what I have to offer in this theater industry. And eventually someone's going to take it and say, great, let's, let's work with this. Um, so that's, what's keeping me going. It's not necessarily getting this, getting a specific job, going in for a specific show. It's showing what I do and, and showing up to everything I possibly can show up for and, and invest in my future in this industry. Yeah. That's it. Because you're yeah. you're relatively new at least to yeah. the to the world of <laughs> of New York City auditioning, right? Cuz you graduated yeah. a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for for you I because I remember when I came to the city, now it wasn't right after graduation, it was a few years after. Mm -hmm. But whenever I came to okay. the city, yeah, I I did the same thing. I was like going to 10 auditions a week. I was like every open yeah. call that I could get into that that kind of fit sort of what I could do. I was I was there. I was trying to be seen. And yeah, I, th I think you have to do that because coming from the educational world and then also being in shows, those are kind of two different worlds. And then the audition world is like a third world that, mm -hmm. that you, you have to really get to know because performing for two people behind a table is different from performing for 2000 in a theater, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and not that, not that our preparation, not that our our acting and, and realness of, of presenting a character should, should change. But yeah, when you have an audience of two in a small room, it, it just needs to alter how exactly you present that character. You mm -hmm. know, it's a skill within itself. It, it, I, I, I always say that. And that's uh, yeah. why there are those people that can audition wonderfully and then something happens on stage and vice versa. Mm -hmm. The people that just like what happened to you in the audition room, but that once they're on stage, it's magic. So yeah. it's, it, it is definitely its own skill, just learning to audition. And I think that, I don't know, I mean, you can talk a little bit about your, um, your schooling, but I know in, in my college program, they didn't really focus a lot on auditioning. It was just all mm -hmm. about the Stanislavski method or just mm -hmm. this or incorporating this into your roles and characters. And now let's do scene work. I'm like, 
what about what's what is it <laughs> what is the audition? real world like? <laughs> like what what is it to just audition <laughs> so th- did you did you feel like you got a lot of training in that respect you know what i i think i was lucky in that way that i did get a little bit of training in, in that at least my last year or two years in school because what's really awesome about texas state and their musical theater program is that they have a bunch of teachers and professors that are currently still in this industry that are still performing in the summer or you know my one of my dance teachers and and choreographers kira schmidt she ended up doing like a chorus line at the muni one summer while like Mm. you know but while she wasn't teaching at school and my my other professors, the head of the program, uh, Caitlin Hopkins and her husband, Jim Price, have been around for a while and are still continuing to perform. I mean, they were, you know, originally they were in like the original productions of Bear on Broadway and um, what was the other show? Oh, Bat Boy on Broadway mm, or off Broadway. Wow. And then like Caitlin, was it last year, or the year before, was in a production of Annie like in the summer in Colorado, I think. Like I, what I love so much about that is that these are people that are still, still in this and it's not like they were doing this 20 years ago and they stopped to teach. I love that it's, they, they, have, they still have this fresh idea of what auditioning is um, and what the real world is like and what it is to, to receive a contract, how to go about that and, and not just, this is this is the method of performing um, that's been around for a while. So we're just going to teach you that. Um, yeah. They went a little bit further, and I really appreciate that. And I also really appreciate, like the last year, we talked more about not just auditioning, but like I said before. So once you get a contract for a show, um, how to negotiate or how to? Uh, we had a couple classes on like how to do your taxes as a musical theater mm-hmm. actor. Yeah, I think because that's this, all this, so this important. Is, we're a small business, right? I almost wish we had more <laughs> yeah. of that. We're like a walking small business, and there and everything that we do can be deducted or this or that, or you know, yeah. keep this receipt or that receipt, and and watch your budgeting as far as mm-hmm. like. So if you only book two or three shows a year, how do you make money? You know, all the yeah. different things you know, mm-hmm. that we, that we need to do the ins and outs. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you got that because yeah. Cause none of my professors were working professionals like that. They, yeah. they had, I think they kind of came from a directing standpoint or this or yeah. that. And so they were now just teaching, but, but Which they, they helpful too, because absolutely. like that in, in that aspect, that's helping you prep for once you get that part or, you know, it's giving you the idea of what's, what they're looking for behind the table or what, once you get the role, how do you treat, you know, the script? How do you, how do you work? What's your work ethic? Like, I think that helps in that yeah. way. And, and a lot of those fundamentals certainly come into play with auditions. Like, like when you get a side breaking it down and, yeah. and, and how you're going to present this line or that, that line and, and work the character. But yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think, but just like I've been in New York 10 years and 10 years ago, auditioning is slightly different, than, so different. than it is now. You know, I mean, there's just the process of what an equity audition is. And so that's different. Mm-hmm. But I think also, you know, there's been turnover as far as casting directors. And so now it's, you know, I, I see a lot more women now behind the table than I did 10 years yeah. ago. Wow. You know, and, yeah. and, and right. so just something as simple as that, not, not that I need to do a different show for a man or a woman, mm-hmm. but their sensibilities are going to be different. And I think that's what's great about 
whether it's directing or music or, you know, whatever, having a man versus a woman can be, it, it's a different take on, mm -hmm. on the same show. And so I think understanding that is, is something that, you know, that you can bring into. And so like, oh, maybe I need to put more sensitivity on this, or maybe I need to be rougher in this moment. And so you can kind of adjust accordingly. Absolutely. So for me, what, what keeps me going is I actually, I was kind of doing a little bit of uh, internet stalking of you. And no! I, saw that, <laughs> I, I saw that you worked with um, a friend of mine, Andrew Lippa. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. it, was was that something that, that you, that he was there and work, working with students? So Andrew Lippa came down to our program my junior year of school and he was there, you know, with my teachers to work as an artist in residence. They have that every once in a while where they have uh, industry professionals come in and sometimes they'll have um, uh, musical directors, choreographers, writers, whatever. Um, so he came down and we were doing a little bit of a benefit concert with him. So we were singing music of Andrew Lippa's work of art. And um, we were able to like raise money for our program. And he was playing the piano. Yes. Okay. Wild. <laughs> Everyone was so nervous. Um, I, my heart is still like, I'm literally nervous right now thinking about it because it was such an incredible opportunity, but we were also like, we can't screw this up. Yeah. We need to do so much justice because he is right here playing with us. So that in itself was incredible. Mm -hmm. But then what was even cooler was that my senior year, I did a I did The World According to Snoopy, which is like a sequel to You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And we workshopped that and did it at Texas State. And then after that, we did the production at Tuts um, in Houston. And that same production moved over to Tuts. And then also at the same time, I think they mounted another production of it over at Theater Aspen in Colorado. And Andrew Lippa came to school to write some more music for the show. And he literally collaborated with, wow. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was so cool. It was really nerve wracking having him in the audience and being like taking notes and figuring out what worked. and what worked. <laughs> um, But yeah, so that was my second opportunity to get to work with him. Um, yeah, so you you worked with him with um, Adam's right family. with doing Adam's yeah. family because for for the tour they basically scrapped almost half of the show and and wrote new music and and, and introduced introduced a new book and so the, I mean a lot of it stayed the same but but there was just a different turn where they wanted to focus more on the oh. uh, like like uh, Morticia's response and Wednesday's response to what's happening with you know with these two families trying to come together wow, and the secret of of mm -hmm. her keeping lucas from the you know so it, it kind of took a turn in in the story and kind of focused a little bit more on on that family relationship in the adams and because of that then gomez got a new solo toward the end of, of act two and one day andrew lippa comes in <laughs> And sings oh. this new song that he has written, for, and it's just like something else. How how do you? Yeah, exactly. Like how do you respond whenever <laughs> this composer that is is so prolific and wonderful now comes in with a new piece no one's ever heard and just sings oh, it for oh, the cast? Wild. It was so wonderful, that is so and it and it's moment. So it's moments like mm -hmm. that is why I'm still here. It's because like if I wasn't in this business, if I was like you know doing. I, I wanted to be a lawyer. That was kind of one of my other wow. kind of jobs that I would have done. I would have gone into law and done something with that. Mm -hmm. But 
I never would have gotten to 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 meet people like Andrew Lippa and hear new work right at, right from their own mouth as 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 it's being written. And so wow. it's it's moments like that that really stick with me. And it and it's you know Adam Stanley was a year and a half process, and it's something mm-hmm. that I loved. But that's that's definitely one of the, like the top three highlights from working on that show was getting a chance to to meet Andrew Lippa, getting to know him, and and hear hear his new stuff. There's something so special about like one thing to even hear new material from a composer, but just to to understand what their mind was going through when writing it. He would give Mm -hmm. us like specifically when we were working on some of his songs from his shows, like the wild party and Adam's family, like hearing his method to his madness about what chords he was playing and, and why specific melodies were being sung and how important it is to follow some of those melodies and how important it is to have sort of a freedom with what you're singing um, rhythmically or melodically. It was really special. And then seeing him play, I mean, just anytime like he was playing, I think in that concert, he also played some of his own music and sung some of his own music and it's all on YouTube, but like he was playing one of the from the the Harvey Milk musical that he wrote. I mean, mm-hmm. incredible. And like, you can see how much joy he has for his work and what he loves to create. I mean, that's just so, that's moving. And that, yeah, that's totally, a, that's a great right. reason why we're still here to witness that. Right? That's what this whole creative field is about. It's about, it's about starting with, with like a nugget of an idea and blossoming into a, a beautiful story, a, a full-fledged musical or production, whatever it is. And, I think that that gets back to what you were saying before about originating a role and being being something that's new and fresh. And that that I think is a dream and a goal of of many actors to to, to really be something that that that's fresh and to be a part of of a uh, of a show from its very beginnings. It 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 reminds me. I I went to see uh, Andrew McCardle and Donna McKechnie. They were doing a, a a duo cabaret at Fifty Four Below here in the city. Icons. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Both of them icons in their originating iconic roles. And Donna McKechnie started talking about the whole like conversation that they had with Michael Bennett in creating a chorus line and the the backstories that went into each of those different characters. But theater so much is so much about a representation about life Mm -hmm. and about the world that we live in. And to have our actual stories, to have like, who was Donna McKechnie before a chorus line? I mean, she was just someone grinding it out and making, you know, doing her dancing, doing her singing, Mm -hmm. but for her story to then be put into a show and then, gets broadcast for decades on end and becomes one of the most iconic shows on Broadway is, is kind of amazing that our, our lives, which seem so small, can be put onto a stage. And even, even if it's not our story, but we will recognize a story that's on stage. We will see someone who's like, I've thought that, I've done that. Oh, yeah. And you to connect s- with it. Yeah. And, and to have that kind of connection, I think there's very few other, there's certainly very few other professions where you can get that connection with the actual work that's being done. That's why I love musical theater so much and theater in general. Like the fact that we can we can tell stories, we can tell our own stories and how universal they become when you put them on a stage with music or whatever. Like how how much you can touch someone's life just by telling your own story or telling the story of someone close to you. Um, it's just so beautiful. And there's really nothing like it. 
you grew up in central Jersey. So, so New York was never far away from you, but just like over the years, like what would you say is like the biggest thing that you've learned as you're getting your career underway? I have learned a lot about my own work ethic and what's going to work for me. Like we talked about earlier about learning from our failures and, 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 and one of the sayings that we had at our school was failing forward. What does that mean to you as an actor? So, so when I came out of school and I started to audition a lot, one of the things that I had to learn about was what is going to put my best foot forward? Um, because I decided coming out of school, I was going to go to every single audition and I was going to just get my name out there. But what was going to benefit me? And so I learned a lot about work ethic and memorization and how important it is to um, really know your material that you're going in with to put your best foot forward so that if the director has um, a note for you, you know, you're not buried in your material or you're not flubbing over your lines because you don't know them as well as you would want to. So learning about preparation, I really think preparation is the key in this industry because again, really the only things we can control are our prep and our work ethic and our attitude going into the room. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, we're not the ones that are casting ourselves in specific roles unless we become casting directors or directors or producers or whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah and so for a couple of summers and then for another year I interned with Michael Cassera from Michael Cassera Casting in New York and man did I learn more than I would have ever learned performing absolutely I've heard from so many people it's like oh my gosh. if you can ever get behind the table and see yeah I've had a chance to be a reader for Wojcik C casting and so I, I've, I've I've had them on my podcast you know earlier and it was so wonderful and eye-opening and and to kind of see their reaction to what's what's happening I mean you know obviously I'm, I'm a reader so I, I have my job there so that was what I focused on yeah but then when I, I wasn't reading that particular scene or in between the auditions, I got to kind of hear them chit chat about what worked with this, what worked with that. And also just watching audition after audition after audition. Oh, it's so, it's so and great. It's, I think the thing that surprised me the most is how many people come in with an attitude. Oh no. Like, like, <laughs> like what? Like, who are oh, you that yeah. you can kind of be? I've seen it. I mean, it was it was it was never anything that was like like evil. No. It was more just like they just had a little like like haughty thing, like like entitlement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in the way that they would talk to the to the pianist, like about their piece, or when they would be given a piece of directions, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, mm. yeah. I got that. It was just an attitude. I was like, maybe you need to be a little bit more gracious and open to what's happening here. Or bringing, I've seen, I, I saw a lot of actors, especially young actors, bringing in sort of the outside world into the audition room. So bringing in a lot of, yes. not necessarily baggage, but like bringing in their day into the room. <laughs> and that is really tough not to do. I mean, it's it's very much easier said than done to just let, let go of what happened outside of the room and just walk in as a clean slate. But I mean... That was that was wild. But going back to, um, so I listened to your podcast with Wojcik and C, and I love talking with casting directors and and hearing their side of the story. And again, sitting on the opposite side of the table for a hot sec because mm -hmm. I, I honestly think you learn more. And another thing that I would say is is a huge thing that I learned from that experience was how subjective 
everything is. I mean, oh, it's completely subjective. And all, even all a casting director can do is just bring in a couple people that they think are right for the role or right for the director's vision. But when it comes down to it, it's the director's call and it's their vision. Absolutely. And so you could be amazing, but it's the director's call and what they want. And so again, all you can do is say, great, I'm going to know this material as well as I can. And I'm going to perform the best that I can for this person. And if I'm right for, for their vision, great. And if I'm not, I showed them that I was a consistent actor and hopefully they'll call me in for something else, but that's all we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's interesting you bring that up. I auditioned for a nymph show, New York musical theater festival yeah. show. Uh -huh. This was, uh, what was this like five years ago or so? And th they were doing a new musical of the Swiss family Robinson story. And so I was going in for the for the the French pirate who kind of goes after the the Swiss family the, the the Robinson family rather. Basically, he's he's like a copy of Hook from Peter and the Starcatcher or Black Stash rather. So I mean, very much similar kind of like haughty, bombastic character, but with a French accent. <laughs> and so I mean, like I had so much fun in the room, and 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 you know I was very happy and proud of of what I gave in the room. And, mm -hmm. you know, I got the call back. Great. And I eventually booked the role, which was wonderful. Amazing. After that, then I, I was sitting down with the music director and he let me in on something. <gasps> he was like, when we called you back, everyone, myself, producers, the, the stage management, like everyone who was in the room loved you and we wanted you. The director had someone else in mind, oh, but wow. we, we talked him into calling you back. And even, wow. and even after the callback, the director was like, but I have this friend who I think can really do it. They had to convince the director hmm. that I was right for it. Well, subjective. it it's so subjective. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I gave a great yeah. audition, but he still had something else in mind. Yeah. And we can't control that. No. I mean, you, it worked out in your favor because you had this whole room of people that were right your supporters and they wanted you in this position, but it's crazy. It's like, that's actually really fascinating and, and helpful to know that, yeah. that, that's what it's like. And I don't think we know that until we're behind the table. Right, because that's just one as one outcome. So obviously there have been probably many more times where I was yeah. wonderful, great, I did everything right, but the director had someone else in mind and that's where they went. You know, yep. so I mean, it's- And we'll never know. Yeah, yeah, we'll never know. Mm -hmm. but, but you know what, I've, I've tried to, to infuse that, that enjoyment of, of the performance into the audition as well. And, you know, yeah. you know, going in and singing a song or going through the scene and just like, all right, well, well let's have fun with this. What, what can I bring to this today? It's like, it's like mm -hmm. a new, a new two minute show I'm going to give them. And then, and then I'll go home, <laughs> you know, because what's also really cool about being in New York specifically is that a lot of times we'll get a chance to, to sing a song or do a side from a show that's not out yet. And then like six months, maybe a year down the road, it finally, it finally comes out off Broadway or on Broadway. Yes. And it's like, I remember that scene. I remember singing that I song. Know. I, I just had that. I actually just had that experience. It was so weird because last year I went in for, um, it's just funny now thinking back to it, but I was, I was called in for the lead in King Kong. Wow. Which now is played by the beautiful actress, Christiana Pitts. Yeah. But like learning that material then, okay, not knowing the show. I mean, obviously, you know, the movie and, and whatever, but having to learn the material firsthand, getting to sing it in the room for Tara Rubin and the, the musical director, 
And then seeing it on stage live in front of you, it's like, oh my gosh, like that's crazy yeah. that I was able to even yeah. just perform that music for that little of a time because, you know, you were a part of that process in a way. Um, mm -hmm. That was so eye-opening. I, love, I, I loved it. I was like singing along in my chair. I was like, I know this song, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for those of us who, who love theater, it's, it's like a little insider. Feels like we know a secret. Right, right. It's, it's, like, it's like all these people, you're enjoying it. Well, I heard this two years ago and sang yeah. it. So, yeah. <laughs> I was a part of that. I wrote that song. Right. Because, because I was not cast, it let them know what they really it wanted. So I was, wanted. I was a part of, of that person. I proved cast. to them that I was not what they wanted. Right, right. <laughs> you know that. what? You, you have to discover the no's as much as the yeses when yeah. you're writing a new show. So Absolutely. I was a no, and then they knew what not to do. <laughs> Incredible. That's all she wrote, you guys. If you enjoyed this episode and this interview, please give me a rate, a review, subscribe to the channel on iTunes, whatever you feel so inclined to do. Go ahead and give me a shout out on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic. And for further inquiries, go ahead and email me at maggie at actoraesthetic.com. You can find everything you need to know about Patrick on his website and podcast, which I will link to below in the show notes and also his Instagram. Special thanks to the Why I'll Never Make It podcast for this joint episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It takes a village, y'all, and I will see you next week. <laughs>